Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, the latest on shares, markets and investments, now available on your Amazon Alexa. Hello, welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, now also available on the UK Investor Magazine mobile app. Um, today, we're kindly joined once again by Alan Green. Alan, thank you very much for being on the podcast today. Hi, Jonathan. Good to be back again. So we, uh, we're we going to touch on the markets initially, and as always, there's a selection of stocks that we will discuss later on in the podcast. But let's um, start off with the broad markets, uh, Alan. So we've had in the last uh, week here in the UK and, and um, across Europe, a certain tightening being put in in restrictions on um, people's freedoms uh, and uh, the, the economy due to coronavirus. We've seen very little fallout in the market thus far, particularly if you're looking at equity markets. But I just want to sort of touch on potential scenarios and, and what could happen going forward if we, we sort of base um, any scenario on a very brief history of uh, of coronavirus. We've been looking at some of the statistics here in uh, the, the UK markets initially. We've seen a very strong rally since the 23rd of March in, in the sort of small cap index in, in the AIM market there. Um, that's actually up about 64% from that low versus a, a rally of, of only 19% in the FTSE 100. Alan, what, what's your sort of view that, um, you know, any sort of investors with a high proportion of their investments in the AIM market could be leaving themselves exposed to any sort of further quite violent downside if we see a deterioration in the economy that, that rivals what we saw back in, in March and April of this year? That's a very good point, Jonathan. Um, I think I can't be certain at this stage without sort of looking looking at the uh, companies but uh, i suspect a significant proportion of the the uh, stocks that are driving the growth in the a market um are firstly firstly have some involvement with either covid testing or or uh, vaccines or um or, or cures at some level um and secondly um of course we've got the junior mining sector um which are also driving uh, it's been driven by the by the uh, uh, perceived devaluation in fiat currency on the back of all the spending that governments around the world are are, are having to having to indulge in on the back of of course um, uh, lockdowns, uh, furlough schemes, uh, uh, support measures for the corporate world, and so on. Um, so I, I, I suspect those are the drivers. Now, if there is a downturn in the major market, which of course there could well be, and um, we're just seeing today, of course, uh, uh, new new testing measures are being introduced for um, inbound travellers um, uh, coming coming into the mark, uh, coming into the UK, which uh, has weighed on the FTSE a bit. Although the pound has got stronger today on the back of the uh, potential. Um, uh, the, the, the the potential uh, revisiting of the uh, of the Brexit process, um, uh, but uh, if there is a downturn in the major markets, um, I believe to some extent, unless for some reasons uh, there is uh, also a fall in the in commodity prices and precious metal prices, I believe. 
the growth in the AIM stocks shouldn't be too shouldn't shouldn't be too much affected, if at all, because of course COVID COVID is still very much in focus, and a lot of the smaller companies involved in that, on the back of sales they've made from either testing kits or uh, vaccines, have had their revenues and their fortunes transformed. Um, and as I've said frequently on on this podcast, uh, the junior mining sector, a lot of the smaller mining companies um, are re- are seeing their their, sh- their share prices rise and their valuations increase on the back of small projects that have lain dormant for years. But of course, with the movement in the commodity price, the underlying commodity price, that they are then revisited and considered economically viable to to develop and start working on. So that's the answer to your question. I don't see too much impact on the AIM market as a result of that. So let's just touch, uh, touch on, the, on the FTSE 100 uh, quickly. I mean, do you think there's a, there's a level of complacency out there in, in the wider markets that, um, you know, we could see this buy the rumour, sell the fact um, on a vaccine? Of course, any, any headlines that we're seeing related to a vaccine is causing very sharp um, upturns in the market very very quick and you know obviously when uh, uh, that, that sort of news has been bought into we, we see it taper off but do you think there's a risk that markets have remained relatively elevated because they're expecting a vaccine to be announced at some point within the next three to six months but what we could actually see on that is uh, a sort of buy uh, the, the sort of rumor that we, we've seen going through on these headline to headlines. But when we do get a vaccine, that everyone starts to sort of liquidate their positions, and then starts to focus on the economy again. And I think that's probably more related to the FTSE 100. Mm. I mean, do you think there's a degree of uh, of complacency out there among events investors? Well, I think also you've got to remember the first 100 companies are run by CEOs who, by and large, have earned their position to run a first 100 company. And, of course, they will be aware of these factors and they'll be making plans uh, to take the company forward post-COVID. And, of course, if you consider the pharmaceutical giant, for instance, AstraZeneca and GlaxoSmithKline, they've got a vast portfolio of of, uh, uh, the drugs under development and, and treatments for all sorts of different diseases. Um, and this is also true for the smaller uh, FTSE 250, 350 farm companies too. The the revenues derived from COVID have also funded that um, they've also funded uh, develop, drug development for other diseases too. So that's money that's come into the company on the back of COVID is now being used to to uh, develop treatments and fight fight other other diseases. So um, my guess is that those companies when the COVID, COVID is under control, they will already have diversified and be into other areas. If we then look at the mining sector, um, most analysts believe that the precious metal boom is going to be sustained for at, until at least to the end of 2021. So um, a lot of the larger mining companies, uh, such as Rio, such as Billiton, they'll be looking at these, they'll be looking at uh, the uh, the uh, smaller smaller miners that are maybe developing projects and um, part of the attraction of being in the AIM market of course is that a small company um, that has a high quality asset such as Greatland Gold for instance um, they are ripe for farming agreements uh, for complete takeovers or whatever so um, I, I think probably the sectors that are vulnerable and will will continue to fall are, of course, the the leisure sectors. Um, although, if 
if once COVID is lifted uh, and travel restarts, then you could see a nascent recovery in, in those areas. But um, probably most of all, it's the it's the high street, the retail stocks um, that, that will be affected. Um, but on balance, I think there's enough that there's there are enough positives in the mix to offset the downside. So that's probably why we are where we are. Bearing in mind the FTSE looks six to nine months ahead, um, and I don't think. I don't believe at this moment, I can't see, unless of course something that comes out of a clear blue sky, I can't see too much movement from the position we're currently in. But there will be upside, um, I believe, at the end of next year. Fantastic, fantastic. So you, you've already touched on there on precious metals. Uh, and that is considered by some as, a, as an alternative investment, as a, as a hedge against... Uh, your more traditional stocks and bonds. Um, but you've had actually conducted quite an interesting interview, which is, is very much an emerging asset class in, in what I would class a, a passion in, investment, which has typically been sort of art and, and wine and, and whiskey and such and cars. Um, but you've been looking at the classic motorcycle market. What, what, uh, what have you discovered there? Well, I interviewed, uh, in fact, the interview is out uh, probably about the same time as the podcast is, so so I'll make sure we tag you guys, you guys in it. But um, I interviewed uh, Paul Jason, who is quite well known in the field of classic motorcycles, and I have an interest in here too, and I'm also an active investor with bikes and, and so on. Um, and Paul uh, basically buys and sells bikes for clients all, all over the world, and they restore them to... Uh, factory condition he says we we kind of reset them to the year zero when they came out of the factory and the limited edition machines are starting to uh, acquire incredible values for example a ducati 750 ss 1974 which in 2010 was worth forty thousand pounds is today worth two hundred thousand pounds um and rarer bikes like this are going for a lot more money than that so it's, it's an interesting asset class. Also, from the storage standpoint, it's uh, you can fit a motorcycle into a very small space. So they're easy to store and, of course, great fun to ride. But the most attractive thing from an investing standpoint is that they're viewed as wasting chattels by the inland revenue. And as such, they are completely free from capital gains tax. So if you're collecting as a private collector, um, you buy a bike for 10 grand one year, you know, sell it uh, in, in 10 years' time for, say, £70,000, that money is tax-free, and that's uh, that's a big attraction. And Paul says that this market is some um, 15 years behind the classic car market, and investors are only just cottoning onto onto the potential now. Interesting. So do do check that interview out. I think they'll be available on on Twitter and various different uh, channels. Um, just moving on then, Alan. So we we've got uh, the three stocks that we're going to discuss this week so let's kick things off um i think let's probably kick off with one that's that's probably um quite highly linked towards the economy we've always had a discussion there of potential scenarios with the economy so i mean if if we start with on the market that's made an, an entrance um into its its industry in the last few years um but what's been happening there recently well, this is quite fascinating, actually. It was brought to my attention um, uh, about a week ago, and they, of course, reported their interim results on Monday. So on the market, OTMP is the epic code. Shares of traders low as 25p, 
and just over a pound on the year. Currently, just about ninety-five p, so just just under 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 a pound. Um, and uh, as I say, with a market cap of uh, sixty-eight million uh, sterling at present. Um, so on the market, it's a property portal for agents and new home developers, um, either selling or renting through uh, th- through the portal. But at the heart of the strategy, um, the estate agents. Um, are actually shareholders in the business, so um, so they'll advertise the property, their properties on the on on the portal, and they will also they, they will also have a shareholding in the business too. Um, uh, the uh, CEO reckons once the take up is completed, there will be something like uh, just, well just under four thousand estate and letting agents across the country from about seven thousand offices um, uh, being shareholders in the industry. Um, and they have a number of um, a number of uh, uh, um, USPs, which uh, gives them a real advantage over the market leader, which is of course of course Ryan Move. But um, but I think uh, what's particularly telling is is the results. And I've I've just looked at this, and I'm, I'm just going to give the results back to back with with, with Right Move, which also announced its uh, half year results recently too. Now Right Move has a market capitalization of of um 5.8 billion uh you know so it's it's some 90 times the size of on the market um right move um in the half year turned over 94.8 million um and that's a, which represents 34% fall in revenue operating profits uh, down 43% to 61 million um and arpa that's average revenue per advertiser down 34% to 712 pounds um, and yet the shares are still trading where they are. On the market, um, revenues grew by 28% to 10.3 million. So yeah, that's roughly that's roughly sort of uh, you know um, a, a tenth or, or, or um, one ninth of the of the revenues generated by Right Move. Operating profit this year, they've moved to profit of 700,000 versus a seven million loss last year. They got 10 million cash in the bank with no borrowing. Their ARPA revenues um, are £124, so lower than right move, but they're up 15%. And it's it's grown in the COVID environment. And it's also grown um, during the heart of the crisis uh, on the market. We're offering state agents free advertising on the website in order to get them on. And of course, as we know, the government provided the, the stamp duty holiday scheme. So uh, the, the housing market has been pretty buoyant. Um, and they've grown revenues in spite of giving away uh, free advertising on the website, which is really impressive. They've got seven out of ten of the largest house builders uh, using the site to sell their new homes. Taylor Wimpy were recently added, um, and they also have what's called a new and exclusive offering, which enables uh, the the estate agents to display properties to serious buyers twenty four hours or more before the listing appears on other portals, i.e., Right Move. But if you compare those numbers, um, the market's valuing right move at 90 times the valuation of on the market, and yet its revenues are falling. On the market is has a valuation of 68 million, and yet it's growing revenues at this rate. And I don't think it's going to be at this level for long. I think this, this stock is going to fly. And I also think if you were considering taking a short position in any stock, then right move might be a, a pretty good bet right now. So, I mean... W- they're, they're operating in very similar markets. They are. And, you, know, well, you know, that, that it's, 
of course, there is the element of uh, um, sort of consumer familiarity with, uh, with with Right Move. You know, that's that's a brand that's been in the market for some time. Yeah, accepted. So, wh- why is it? Do you think that? Um, you know, investors aren't um, sort of looking at on the market and thinking, you know, on a valuation basis relative to, to earnings, it, it's still a, a lot cheaper than, than right move. And it's not sort of shot up, um, you know, in, into a valuation that could be sort of two or three times as much as it is um, at the moment if it was to move into line um, with, with right move, I mean, is there a concern there in the market that this is a, a saturated market? Of course, you've got Zoopla out there as well. Yeah, that yeah. there is there isn't space for for a third big player to come in. Do you think there's a bit of concern there about that? Well, in my view, the concern lies with the fact that um, in the period last year, the company reported a seven million pound loss. Um, so, of course, if you've got a company that's growing market share but it's still trading at a loss, then um, of course, they're always concerned about that. And, you know, if there was a downturn in the market, then the company would have to downsize. But the fact is that they've they've turned, made an operating profit um, during one of the toughest periods in history, um, you know, relatively speaking. Uh, they've turned an oper- operating profit during that period. Um, and they are clearly the, the disruptive force in the market. They're, they're gaining market share because... They're bringing in the estate agents as shareholders into the business, whereas, of course, Rightmove doesn't offer that at all. Now, Rightmove may well look at this and think, well, we can't have this. So we either take them out or we or we um, alter our strategy to, to meet them head on. But uh, and as you rightly say, Jonathan, they've got the market leading brand. But, you know, on the market, I think are a, disrupt, are, are a disruptor here. It is a crowded marketplace, but the way they're going, they, they look to me to have the right to uh, the right. Um, uh, business model to actually gain carry on gaining market share indeed yeah i think that there's a massive opportunity for that so that's going to be an interesting company i feel to to keep an eye on there and one that could really be uh, a real growth stock on on the uh, the the other side of, of covid i think there could be a bit of volatility there um, in the share price as, as the housing market develops through this. But um, I agree that there is plenty of space for another player to come into that market. Yeah. So one that I'm sure that we'll discuss again in some detail. So let's move on now. So the, the, this I think this is one that we have touched on before in the, pub, in the podcast, and that's um, Eddie Stobart Logistics. Yeah. Massive changes there in that business over the last five years. What's the most recent update from them looking like, Alan? Well, of course, you're right, Jonathan. We have spoken about Eddie Stobart on a number of occasions. And if you recall, um, uh, Eddie Stobart, I mean, it's been a a tumultuous year for the company, given that uh, they were nearly acquired by Wynn Canton last year, who pulled out at the last minute due to accounting irregularities. And, of course, they found this huge hole in the accounts. Um, So a couple of weeks later, Eddie Stobart, team um, got DBay advisors to inject 70 million sterling into the business um, at 32p, um, saved the business. Uh, but of course, in the process, um, uh, White Star acquisitions became um, a 50-50 shareholder effectively with Eddie Stobart PLC. So in effect, Eddie Stobart, uh, Eddie Stobart uh, Logistics PLC became a cash shell. Um, however, um, the company have uh, since 
throughout COVID, uh, they've reported strong trading. Of course, they are the primary logistics uh, provider to Tesco and, and other other major uh, retailers in, in the UK. Um, so uh, during the year, the company acquired the rights to the Eddie Stobart name. And of course, this is the company that runs the iconic Eddie Stobart trucks uh, on the road that we see all over the UK. So they previously they were paying uh, an annual fee um, of three million to to uh, use the name. They've now acquired it outright from Stobart Group for a one-off fee of ten million, with four million of that payment deferred. Streamlined operations, and they provided a trading update um, in the week, which um, makes for pretty strong reading in my books. Revenues uh, of four hundred sixteen million. Uh, down 1%, um, but underlying EBITDA rocketed 363% to 16.6 million. And the company's projecting a full year EBITDA number of at least 33 million going forward. Um, now, the, the group said, William Stobart, the uh, chairman, uh, said that, uh, or the chairman of Green White Star Acquisitions, said that um, uh, the strong demand uh, had driven this return to profitability. And they 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 saw further benefits to come. They've shed loss making contracts. Um, they've uh, they have now have positive operating cash flow. And on the back of the positive cash flow, they still have debt of two hundred forty two million. But they've initiated pay down of that. Now this is a company that was worth uh, I think around a billion some um, sometime last year. So we now have a market cap of around thirty five million. Um, which, uh, uh, given, of course, the, the PLC entity owns half the business, that puts a market cap of £70 million on the group. That's still a long, long way from where it was last year. Um, during the period, the company's also won new contract wins with Morrison's uh, Supermarkets, McBride, the food manufacturers, Hillebrand, Nike and Amazon, and their subsidiary companies, iForce, Pallet Network and Logistics People, have all contributed to um, uh, in, in growing sales during the period. So we've got here a company that uh, has, dealt, is, has dealt with this debt problem, has, uh, is now in operating cash flow, positive operating cash flow territory, paying down its debt. And I think there's, there is tremendous upside potential here to, for the business to get back. And, you know, if, even if we look at where DBA injected the money at the average of 32p, I mean, surely that's got to be the um, the initial target for, for the stock, which is currently trading at around eight p. So I think this could be a real a really exciting recovery play, and there's clear evidence that the group are really making making large strides forward. Indeed, indeed, it may, may also looking at the chart here, Alan, it may, it may be one for, for for the traders among the the listeners here because it does have uh, some some nice gyrations there, um, which has been in, in quite a quite a reliable range to some extent recently so that could be one to be buying on dips going forward and and, and uh i think we have discussed it on the podcast uh, i think a couple of times before so i'm sure we'll update on that um with any further developments there at uh, at eddie stoibart so mm-hmm. to finish off alan um we have a minerals company Again, one that we have discussed on the, the podcast, got some very interesting operations um, and, and investments in, in the mining sector, and that's Blencow Resources. What's the latest from them? 
Right, so, so Blenkeren Resources, um, Epic Code is Brez, B-R-E-S, uh, currently got a market cap of 6.6 million. The shares have been pushing higher over the past few days. Um, been traded as high as 8.75 on the year and and uh, and that, that they actually touched a low of 4p briefly uh, a few months ago. But Blenkow, um, uh, were, they came to market and raised um, 2 million at 6p um, back in April this year on the reverse takeover of Consolidated African Resources, Uganda, um, which owns 100% of the Orem Cross Graphite project. And this is um, a, a, a graphite project uh, based in Uganda that covers a vast area. And um, the, you can literally walk across the land there and you'll see little flakes of graphite, bits of piece of graphite in the ground or on the surface. So the recovery costs are very low. But um, in order to establish the, um, the resource, uh, uh, they've gone through a series of processes undertaken um, a number of drilling campaigns completed uh, they completed in august a 69 hole 2000 meter diamond drilling campaign um the samples for which were sent to the sgs lakefield um both in tanzania and canada and sgs are one of the most experienced uh, uh metallurgical testing companies in the world very experienced with graphite as well um and um the the company have to date uh, confirmed 95 to 97%, 95% to 97% total graphite content in the samples that have been delivered. So the company is undergoing the process to take it towards a jork resource, um, which was expected uh, in quarter four this year, but due to COVID uh, complications, um, that's now going to be 2000, early 2021. Um, and the graphite market, of course, is, is, um, is, is well known and well established really two parts to it the, the the jumbo flakes that are the large flakes that's the that's that stuff is worth between a thousand and two thousand dollars per ton and this is the um this it, it's it's used for what they call the expandables market um where it can be turned into a high concentrate which is used to line steel foundries it's used in fire retardants and so on and it's a solid marketplace which, which grows at between five and ten percent per annum the smaller flakes are used, of course, for the uh, anodes in lithium-ion batteries. Um, and, of course, with, this, with the burgeoning growth in the electronic vehicle industry, um, this, is, this is really where uh, the, the, uh, the expectations for growth lie. Um, it, it's expected there'll be a shortage of graphite uh, to feed this industry in 2025, which, of course, will have the net effect of pushing the price higher. But that's essentially the graphite market. Um, and also, of course, for for Blenkow being based in Uganda, it's an English-speaking uh, jurisdiction. It's a very benign jurisdiction, and the government are, are very supportive for mining companies operating in the area. So I think with Blenkow, we're seeing the share price starting to move now. I think as we move towards this jolt resource, um, and we then move towards the move towards feasibility studies and so on, I think we're going to see a significant sea change in um, in the valuation of the group, and you've got other companies that are in the group. Sovereign Metals, for instance, is um, is trading uh, trading with a market cap of around twenty five million. Walkabout Resources also on the ASX. They're some some two and a half years ahead of of uh, Blencow. They have a market cap of forty five million, and there are other larger companies out there that are further down the road. But um, once we have the jaw estimate on this, 
then we can put together feasibility studies. And I think, I think the the process of mining or the the ease of getting the stuff out of the ground and to market will really will really start to see a this project accelerate and b um, value in the company increase proportionately in line with that. Which of course for investors who get in at this point um, could mean a very substantial return. Indeed, and and with companies such as Tesla really ramping up their production yeah. of uh, of lithium batteries, um, you know the uh, the components that go into these and the raw materials such as graphite operating in that area does uh, present quite an interesting opportunity. So uh, one that we have discussed before in in Blencar Resources, and I think probably one that we will discuss. Again, at some point, Alan, as, as this market matures, as does uh, Blenkow's development of their of their projects there. Indeed, indeed, Jonathan. Well, uh, you know, it's an exciting one. Uh, I, I should declare at this point, I do have stock in the company. In fact, I have stock in uh, two of the three companies mentioned today. So, um, so yes, I, I'm I'm uh, looking forward to uh, developments uh, from Blenkow in the next few months. Fantastic, fantastic. So just uh, just a reminder, uh, the companies discussed today were Eddie Stobart Logistics with a ticker of ESL. Um, just now was Blencow Resources, ticker BRES, and on the market with a ticker of OTMP. Alan, thank you very much for being on the podcast today. Thanks again, Jonathan. So myself and Alan Action, we will be joining uh, once more next week for um, the UK Investor Magazine virtual conference on Tuesday. So if you haven't already signed up to that, there will be a, a link to that in the notes of this podcast, as well as various different points on the UK Investor Magazine website and in our newsletter. So do, uh, do check that out and get signed up. And Alan, look forward to speaking to you then. Thanks, Jonathan. Look forward to being on the webinar with uh, everyone else. Thanks very much, Sal. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to the UK Investor Magazine podcast. Please do share the podcast and we really value any reviews and comments you leave us in your chosen podcast player. The views presented by the hosts and guests of the UK Investor Magazine podcast are in no way investment advice. And please remember, all investment involves risk. 